I bet you can't do 20 pull-ups. So I did 20 pull-ups, got off the bar, and I kept running. He goes, you know why you can't be a Marine? And I started backpedaling, and I say, I don't care, but why? <laughs> and so he goes, because you never try to do one more. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. I'm joined today by Ferguson Juice Dale. He is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes though, they go untold. Not every Marine story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. I'm honored today to have Ferguson on to share a piece of his story. In today's episode, we talk about his journey in the Marine Corps, how he got started in aviation, and Juice provides some amazing leadership advice that anybody can use. Thank you so much for joining me, and I absolutely love the background, and that you're coming to me from an event. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I couldn't tell you what it means to see a fellow Marine just uh, working together as a team toward a common goal. Uh, We can help transition to service members. We can tell our story and then others will hear and understand that, hey, whatever we do, wherever we go, you join this Marine Corps, we're going to take care of you. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so excited to have you on because we connected over LinkedIn. Um, And I talk about how amazing of a platform LinkedIn is, but the first question, the first thing I always ask people is, why did you decide to join the Marine Corps? Well, ultimately, uh, it's because I wanted to do one more. So I'll I'll explain what that means. Okay. So um, I was playing uh, college football and I was competitive uh, for a scholarship. And so Central Missouri State University is the name of the school that it used to be called is now called the University of Central Missouri, all right? So when I was working on being a mighty mule, terrible name for a university, but they were offering scholarships, okay? So don't judge me. Um, When I was working on that, I was doing pretty well, but I got kind of caught up um, with a a girl, right? Uh, And she was back in Georgia while I was in the state of Missouri. And so I decided, okay, let me um, explore this. So she invited me to a basketball game and the basketball game was in Atlanta as a freshman at Central Missouri. I had a curfew Uh, and as someone vying for a scholarship, you really want to do what you're told and not anything else because you've got a scholarship on the line, thousands of dollars. So I went and my roommate tried to cover for me. Um, But when I went, turned out there was another guy in the car. and so she was just being like friendly, wanted just me just as a friend. And I was like, wow, I just drove like 13 hours <laughs> to find out it was just a friend situation. Well, anyway, I'm in the back of the car, right? He's in the front. So I guess he won that one. And uh, we're driving and somebody who had been drinking uh, was doing drugs and, and uh, I guess was inebriated, uh, made a left turn um, onto the road we were on, but instead of getting over into the opposite lane, uh, from us, he just kept driving right toward us. And so I was kind of falling asleep because I had driven for 13 hours and I kind of opened my eyes, um, to see a white flashing light and boom, get, get in a car wreck. Um, so I remember kind of like feeling real tight. Um, like my body was tensing up and I was able to get out of the car but um, the car was smoking and the girl in the front seat um, was in a lot of pain and she couldn't get out of the car. So with the last kind of muscle of strength I had, I was able to pull this car to open enough, but it had been jammed, you know, by the wreck. And I was able to pull her out. Uh, The other guy got out, um, kind of scratched his eye. So I guess, wasn't that bad that I was in the back seat, um, but it was still pretty rough. Anyway, um, I ended up going to the hospital. This was like a Friday night going into a Saturday. Um, did not tell my parents any of this happened. Um, and they lived in Georgia at the time. So they're thinking I'm off in, in school in Missouri, like, you know, 
doing the right things and everything else. Well, I get released from the hospital and I drive 13 hours back in a lot of pain and on muscle relaxers uh, back to Missouri. And I make it Monday morning just in time for uh, workouts. And we're doing bench press, right? Uh, first thing Monday morning, we start warming up and then we do a bench press. And so I can't even bench press the bar because, uh, which is 45 pounds, right? I, because I'm hurting so badly, right? Well, my eyes were red. Um, my roommate told me, told a story that I was uh, in the bathroom or something like that, feeling really sick and that I was gonna be down. And I came down and they were like, no, 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 you're not sick. You know, you're hungover or something like that. So apparently like the accident caused me a lot of uh, red eye and, and pain. And it turned into a situation where I had to, uh, you know, like admit to them that I had driven to Georgia because they thought that I was doing drugs, right? And I was like, okay, well, I think it's way worse them thinking I was doing drugs than me driving to Atlanta. All right, so how does this tie in? It's coming up, trust me. All right, so finally I drive back, or excuse me, I get told, hey, you are not gonna get that scholarship. We're gonna give it to the other guy because you don't have integrity. And at the time I was uh, almost 18 and I said, what is that? I didn't know what integrity was. Like, it was a word that I had like heard before, but I didn't know like exactly what it meant. And so um, I think you're gonna understand where this is leading because the word integrity is a very Marine Corps thing to say, especially when, when it comes to recruiting, right? So I said, all right, well, I guess I'll walk on to another you know, college. So I picked a college in uh, Georgia um, between that and Appalachian State. And um, I was working up to it because I was still hurting from the accident. And I would run and then I would um, see this pull-up bar and it was at this like recruiting station and it was for all different recruiters, not just, you know, the Marine Corps. And I would run by it and I, you know, stopped and I would do pull-ups. And, you know, after a while, uh, the recruiters of, of various organizations caught the pattern and they would go out there and some of them would smoke or whatever it was, you know, and they would see me um, get on the pull-up bar and I wouldn't say anything to any of them. Um, because, you know, I was kind of taught as a kid that, you know, the military didn't want, you know, or was just going to use you up and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, my, my brother joined the military and, uh, you know, he ended up graduating from Harvard Law. So he actually did pretty well for himself. Did four years as admin, got out, uh, you know, and used his uh, GI Bill, made it all the way up. So I, I thought, you know, there was a part of me that was like, uh, well, that guy, it worked for that guy. Anyway. Um, this new recruiter comes on deck and I'm running and he's a Marine recruiter. And he goes, I bet you can't do 10 pull-ups. So I get up there, I do 10 pull-ups. I don't say a word and I keep running. You know, all the other recruiters and stuff are like, Hey, let me talk to you for a second. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't want, you know, I don't say anything. I just keep running. So another couple of times, Hey, I bet you can't do 12 pull-ups. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I bet you can't do 20 pull-ups. So I did 20 pull-ups, got off the bar, and I kept running. He goes, you know why you can't be a Marine? And I started backpedaling, and I say, I don't care, but why? <laughs> and so he goes, because you never try to do one more. And so I kept running, but that got me. So the next week, you know, I kind of go in, and I go, what's this cream corn thing all about? You know, um, I, I my brother was in, and it seemed he was different. He was still who he was, but he was like more disciplined in his mind and everything else. So tell me about this. He goes, well, first I want you to organize these pucks, right? And so there was these leadership traits, these 14 leadership traits. And one of them was integrity. And I put that at the top because I never figured out what that really meant. And so um, he was like, that was interesting. Why did you put integrity at the top? And I was like, well, someone told me I didn't have any. So I thought I should probably Put that first to figure out what that is and the rest of these i know what they are and he explained integrity and everything and he used the kind of the maxim that we all say which is like doing the right thing when no one's looking which is not actually the definition of integrity but i like what it's saying so i just went with it um and then marine corps is what you got so that's uh that's why i joined the corps and i'm grateful that you know i started off uh, uh you know doing the active duty um, side of the house 
And then I uh, got accepted to the officer program, dropped to the reserves, um, did uh, four and a half years in the reserves and then got a commission um, and then went active duty, you know, for about 15 years. And now I'm at 20 years total and dropped back to the reserves and uh, enjoying it so much. And I was just recently selected for promotion to major. So I'm, I'm happy about that. So that's, that is amazing. And so you, you've kind of seen the Marine Corps in so many different capacities from enlisted to reserve to officer. What was, I guess, first and foremost, what was your MOS when you were enlisted? And did you keep the same MOS when you went officer? And kind of how was that transition from enlisted to officer? Awesome. Um, So my occupational specialty was 2311 ammunition technician, ammunition specialist, I guess is the technical term. Um, And you're not able to keep that. You can't be an ammo tech as a commissioned officer. Um, The closest thing would be a logistician. However, um, I developed this bug for aviation. Um, and outside of the Marine Corps, um, I started flying. But the way I got into flying, and if you don't mind, I'll briefly tell you that story because it ties into the Marine Corps. Of course. Um, so while I was, you know, trying working toward a scholarship and everything else, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, got away from college football, realizing the fact that there's a team concept going on and the Marine Corps was more of the team that I was looking for than like sports. Um, while I still cherish like and love playing sports, there's nothing like the camaraderie of the Marine Corps um, from my perspective. And so I, I, I stumbled into what I was looking for. I'm a man of faith, so I'll, I'll, I digress from, from saying more detail, but you can kind of guess what, why I wanna do that. Um, but when I um, was working as a bank teller and a loan officer, you know, it was actually a, for a credit union. There was this gentleman who flew for American Airlines um, and he used to come in all the time and he had a daughter who was around my age um, and they would all come in and they would do transactions, he and his wife and everything. Um, and he was a man who was just a very unique person um, and he saved every penny he had literally. And so he came into the bank one time and he said, Hey, I need to deposit all of this. And so he had uh, a huge bucket full of rolled coins. Some was rolled, some was not. Uh, And back when I was a teller in the early two thousands, like there wasn't like a whole lot of like machinery or anything like that, that would count that stuff for you. So we had to count it and roll it ourselves. We had to count it three times. Right. And so all the other tellers kind of turned like this, like, you know, like pretending as though they weren't there. And I was like, hey, I get off at 5 p.m., bring it, you know. And so um, counted it all. And it took me, I don't know, two hours, something like that. Counted all thousands of dollars in like coins and dollar bills and everything else. And uh, he was so impressed with, you know, the I guess I don't know my demeanor, or my attitude about the whole thing that he said, hey, I want to do something for you. Um, would you like to fly? And I thought he was talking about drugs. So I was like, no, I'm good. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like I'm a pilot and um, I'm a flight instructor and I can teach you how to fly and I'll take you on an introductory flight, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, okay, you know, that's cool. And so this was like while I was in college and this was like me earning some money while I was going to college at night and everything else. So uh, on the weekends, you know, he taught me how to fly. And I took to it really well. And I decided to make the investment to continue flying. And when I uh, took the test, I think it's called the Aviation Selection Test Battery, ASTB for short. I scored really high on like the mathematics and everything. But because I hadn't flown very much, there's this part called spatial apperception. Uh, it kind of shows the cockpit from all these various angles. You're, and you, gotta, you have to figure out, the, you're looking out the window of the cockpit, you have to figure out what angle you're at, you know, whether you're climbing, descending in a turn, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't get that very well, but the more I, so I I took the test again and I did really well. Uh, So I qualified uh, for the flight program in the Marine Corps. And I owe a lot of that to, um, his name is Mr. Abernathy, right? Larry Abernathy. I owe a lot of that to him because he's the one who really taught me to fly. And as my first instructor, he was very calm and he was about have fun. So he told me, 
um, to remember this because, and it helped because when I got in the Marine Corps and I started flying uh, in the EA-6B Prowler, um, you had to work up to it. Even though I was a, the equivalent of a co-pilot in the Prowler, uh, you were still required at the very beginning of your training to, to fly the, a small aircraft. And the first instructor I had on the Marine Corps side was a very um, rude, mean guy. And I would have not enjoyed flying and probably would have dropped out of the program had it not been for Larry Abernathy. Well, his daughter um, and a guy I went to high school with, they got married and they both joined the Marine Corps. And we are all still friends to this day and we talk all the time. As a matter of fact, this guy is an ordained minister, my, the, my flight instructor, and he married me and my wife. Um, so that's, that's the relationship that we have. And um, you know, my two fellow Marines, um, who are now reservists as well, um, who spent time on active duty. We all still talk and the camaraderie is still really strong and we're all still flying aircraft, so. And I think that that is such a cool, like, especially like, I know that we've talked about faith and, and, and that type of stuff and to see like how God has created so many of those like connections and like those like paths almost like yes you you know you had the ultimate choice but he was like here you know here's this here's this and then continuing those connections I think that that is utterly amazing um and just for clarification that That was all God (laughs) right right which is I think is just so cool and I've talked about like in other podcast episodes and in my story uh, as well how it's just it's it's uh it's wild how he just like sends messages and sends signs and you know sends things to 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 make life happen and um were you a reservist at that time or you weren't enlisted in the Marine Corps at all yeah so I was a reservist at that time reservist you get into the officer program you can you have an option where you can serve in the reserves while you're waiting, you know, while you're finishing your degree. So I, I elected to reserves. Okay. And that's, so on top of going to school, being a reservist, you also were learning how to fly. Yeah. You know, I actually do better when I have a lot going on uh, because it, it forces me to organize myself. Cause I know if I fall behind, I'm done, you know, like I won't be able to, everything will come from different angles. So, but when I had, and this was all the way through high school and everything, when football season was over and I had nothing going on, my grades dropped and it was like, I had way more time and I got into way more trouble. Um, so I just realized about myself, I needed to be always a busy body, always on the move, always on the go. So, you know, I balance it well with, uh, I have a really good partner in uh, Stephanie. So she's very helpful and, and always um, taking, picking up the slack and helping with um, our two kids or two boys while, everything else is going on. And she took, you know, uh, marrying a Marine, like a trooper and, uh, just <laughs> took to it really well and allowed me to do my thing and then make sure. But what's nice is that we got married toward the end of my, um, you know, service, active service, um, 2018 kind of time frame. I got out, uh, July, 2022. Um, I, I had one, one big deployment on ship. And then when I was done with that deployment, um, I was able to come home most, most of the time. Um, but my last duty station was at the Marine Corps Warfighting Laboratory. That's where I'm a reservist now. So that another door that opened, um, you know, for, for, uh, you know, staying in the Marine Corps, but that required a lot of travel, you know, with, uh, force design 2030, if you've heard, um, there's a lot of friction with that, a lot of, uh, naysayers and everything else. And, um, it requires us to travel around and to do a lot of experimentation. I worked in science and technology as a uh, branch manager for cyberspace, electromagnetic warfare, and signals intelligence. All of that came from being in the EA-6B Prowler. Um, and the mission of the Prowler basically is to jam radar signals, communication systems. It retired in 2019, and that's why I went to the uh, warfighting lab. Is you know Basically, they didn't know what to do with a guy who was airborne in an aircraft that no longer exists. So I got an opportunity to um, serve at the lab and it gave me this bug for science and technology. But yeah, just the camaraderie is just ridiculous in the Marine Corps. So I'm glad that we're talking about it. Get a chance to pay homage to uh, to my service. It's almost like, um, it's almost like a relationship. The Marine Corps and, and I were in a relationship and uh, 
you know, I thought we were breaking up <laughs> and then we got back together just in a different kind of capacity as a reservist now instead of active duty. And how was that like transition out? Um, and, you know, now that you're back in as a, as a reservist, but kind of that like in between period, how how was that for you? Yeah, so I'll start with being um, enlisted as an ammo tech and then enlisted as an ammo tech. We were a very to- close knit group. Um, the first thing that happened to me when I checked into a unit, um, I got tossed a blasting cap and told, welcome to the Marine Corps, devil dog. Uh, and I was like, whoa, you know, and it was like inert and it wasn't real. Um, but it was like very scary because you go to the schoolhouse, you learn that blasting caps are really dangerous and everything else. And so that kind of set the tone and we all looked out for each other. You know, you would get into a fight, um, for example, with your fellow, I made it up to the rank of sergeant. I get into a fight with another sergeant behind a closed door, like a fist fight. And we would like dust ourselves off and like go about our day as if nothing happened. Anybody asked what was going on. It was none of their business, that kind of thing, or, you know, PT or something like that. Um, And, you know, you become an officer and it's kind of different. You swing a dead cat and you hit three captains who are in the aviation community. So you are the equivalent of a Lance Corporal while you're a captain, you know, in the, in a flying squadron, right? And then, so the experience there was very different. I was scuzz brushing my boots and everything, um, my flight boots, and I was always painting my EGA, my Eagle Globe and Anchor on my cover um, to make sure it was nice because, I don't know, the flight suit would treat it like sandpaper, you know, and it would just rub off all the time. And I don't know how much you've been around like aviation professionals in their flight suits, but if you ever look at them with their covers on, you always see their Eagle Globe and Anchor is jacked up um you know most of them so it, it was very different because i thought that you could always just be a hard charger you know and as long as you were a hard charger and you were giving it your all and everything else like people would pick you up but when i became an officer i don't want to make it seem like it's a blue falcon situation but it's just different they your peers are are ranking you and they're about you know they're they were built from the beginning of the training, you know, at, at officer candidate school to basically rank you um, and, and to set themselves apart from you and be better, you know, show themselves as better than you instead of that, like cooperate to graduate mentality that you get enlisted. And so it created a situation where, you know, I was scuzzing my boots one time and somebody saw me and they're like, Hey, how's your mission commander syllabus going there, Lieutenant Dale, you know, like, why aren't you studying, you know, to, to fly the, in the aircraft better, that kind of thing. And that was my wake up call. That was my realization that I was in a different world and that it was time to start understanding how to be an officer. And that I always looked at officers kind of as I'll use the term yuppie, um, the ones that I was around and in ammo, as an ammo tech, um, you know, we were mostly like warrant officers. So like, it's kind of, they were all enlisted first. It was a very different uh, occupational specialty. And then you would once in a while when it was time for like a promotion or something like quarterly or something, you'd get a um, captain or a major. um, And I barely saw, you know, any officers like commissioned officers. So I started having to learn how to be an officer. And you the things that made me successful as a sergeant um, were actually to my detriment um, as an officer. And I had to learn to let that go, you know, like, okay, got it. You know, like your, your PFT score is good. Um, you know, you got a 283 PFT or something like that. That's okay. Great. You know, good. But you are now re- results based. You now need to be able to employ this aircraft as a weapon system and your teammates um, of various ranks from Lieutenant to uh, even the rank of Colonel are in the cockpit and there's less than one second difference between you all if you do something stupid and you crash, you know what I mean? And so I had to learn that and understand that world. And then when I transitioned to acquisition within the Marine Corps, um, I had to learn like that a lot of the things that we were doing in the Marine Corps, they're very specific to us. Um, And it's an entire culture in and of itself. And it's a culture that's not well understood outside of the Marine Corps. And so that transition back to your original question, I'm sorry, was really difficult for me because I was indoctrinated into the Marine Corps. My entire adult life, I've been a Marine. 
Um, and then it was time to transition out. Acquisition helped because acquisition taught me to work with civil servants, um, with contractors. And so you can't treat them the same way you do a Marine. Um, and some of them were never in the Marine Corps at all. Most of them were, you know, but uh, some of them were not. And so I'll give a quick example of my transition. Okay, so I did the DOD skill bridge. Um, so for anybody who's listening and they want to learn more about the skill bridge, I have firsthand experience with that. And I'd be happy to share. I think it's a great idea, but you get up to six months um, of training outside the Marine Corps or to do an internship outside the Marine Corps. The only stipulation is that it has to give you a higher than normal average chance of being hired by that company. Um, so I chose um, basically Naval Information and Warfare Center Atlantic had a contractor who did a lot of work for them. And that contractor, Scientific Research Corporation, gave me an internship. So that gave me an opportunity, but I was still very Marine Corps. Um, and so I showed up and, you know, everything was like practically like the same as ribbons being one eighth inch and everything. I showed up, you know, in a full piece suit and everything else. And everybody else is kind of not dressed as, as you know, down as I am and everything else. Um, but there was one specific it, instance where I was supporting, you know, the Marine Corps um, through this contractor. And um, there was someone, uh, a program manager who was very hard to talk to about a certain subject. And it had to do with like force design, right? So I had to go in and talk to him about something that pertained to force design. And everybody was like, oh, you better be careful. You know, this guy gets really mad, right? Uh, about that whole thing. And so I went in, I talked to him. Um, and there was a couple people before me who kind of like walked out of his office like a little bit like uh, with a kind of a blank stare on their face like they had just gotten like berated or something. I doubt that's what happened. He was, I don't know. He had a very gentle, calm demeanor when he was speaking to me. Uh, when I came out, they said, did you talk to him? And I said, yeah, I had to step over like two dead bodies to, to, to get to him. But I talked to him. And the next thing you know, I'm in the uh, deputy's office and uh, she's like, hey, uh, listen, I, I heard you've been saying some vulgar things. And, and I was like, huh, what are you talking about? And yeah, something about dead bodies and everything. And listen, this isn't, you know, I know that you served and I thank you for your service, but you can't say things like that. And I, in my mind, I was like thinking it was nothing. I didn't even think twice about saying something like that. And so the transition was difficult, uh, but there are some folks there. Um, there's actually a guy um, who was a, a pilot uh, in the Marine Corps. And he kind of recognized what was going on with me, took me under his wing and helped me understand like how to speak. Um, and, you know, you can't be as uh, blunt Bartley, right? <laughs> you can't be as blunt as, uh, as you want to be. You have to use that discretion. And uh, because I wanted to succeed, I chose to, to take that route but you'll never be able to take the Marine from me. So in my mind, I, I've, there's a way that I, things are going in my mind that, you know, in my, through my mouth, they don't come out <laughs> as much as they used to anyway. And so I can, yeah, no, and I completely get that. And there's so much with like your transition and seeing the Marine Corps in all these different like capacities. And like you said, almost like these subcultures within the Marine Corps too, and how different it is. Um, and I think it's interesting because I think that at least on the podcast, I think you're the first person I've talked to who has had so many varying like missions in the Marine Corps, essentially like your mission enlisted to reservist to officer is a completely different mission. And like your goals are completely different. And how do you feel that's led you to, to lead Marines better? Because I mean, you have like an actual, like boots on the ground experiences and all of these different levels, but now you're in a position that's way more, you know, high level, like different mission. How do you think that's kind of impacted your, your leading style? Yeah, well, I'll say, I'll say this. Um, like you said, I, I wore, I've worn a lot of hats in the Marine Corps and uh, my time with the infantry. Um, I, I spent two different tours, one enlisted and one officer with the infantry. One was as an ammo tech and my job was just pretty much to bring ammo around. And I remember the enlisted Marines, um, you know, corporal sergeants being like, you know, um, 
you know, you're nasty because you you're driving a Humvee, you know, because I was driving the ammo around. Right. And, you know, you need to let somebody like my my guy here who's who's limping. He needs to be in the Humvee, not you. You know, you need to get out and walk with the rest of it. And I was like, hey, if you want to carry this ammo, you can, you know, we can spread it out amongst each other. But and they were like, hey, never mind. Get back. You know, keep doing what you're doing. But there was another time um, as an officer, my job was uh, I was a forward air controller. And, uh, you know, the broader term is joint terminal attack controller, JTAC. You coordinate airstrikes, basically. And I eventually became the air officer and I was the one in charge of the joint fires, observers, everyone that was in that battalion, Victor 2-2. Um, and making sure that they were trained and ready to execute, you know, any kind of air coordination related mission. Um, so I had a um, commanding officer and he was very, he did not care about appearances or anything of that nature. He was very much like, hey, we got a mission and we're going to do it. But one of the things he said to me is 99% of the time, Marines don't need our leadership. Make sure you're there for that 1%. And that's what made me a more effective leader in general is recognizing the fact, like, instead of using this whole, like, these Marines are untrained, I will use the lessons I learned in the basic officer course to, to lead them. <laughs> that, that transitioned me from that mindset to these are grown men and women, and they're not kids. I, I, I often hear folks um, refer to Marines who are, like, in their first you know, their formative years of the Marine Corps as kids. Um, and I, I don't really appreciate that. Uh, I, I think that you can fight and die for your country. First of all, you can have a beer, um, but you know, we won't go there. Um, and then secondly, um, you're not a kid, you're an adult um, and we're gonna treat you like one. And when I started doing that, um, I noticed that um, we coordinated better and we worked better as a team. So. I'm a big fan of something called cognitive diversity. And that's not about how you look, it's about how you think. Um, and how you look can be um, a catalyst for, for the way you think, because especially in the United States, we have this thing about treating people um, a certain way based on how they look. Now that I've seen that wane over the years, uh, but it, it's, it's there in, in pockets and it's kind of uh, retreated to unconscious bias um in some ways right so i'm very careful about um making sure everybody knows that i'm separating how i look as in color of my skin or being male from um you know how i think right and i find that uh the more diverse perspectives there are and there's a whole theorem for this called the diversity prediction theorem um but the more diverse your crowd is the more accurate your predictions become and the better you solve problems. And I'm, I was able to translate that into success as a small business owner um, of separate skies, what you got, right? A call back to, you know, a shout out to the Marine Corps for, for allowing me the opportunity to learn how to fly and get paid for it. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, I wanna carry on the tradition of aviation, but I owe, um, I owe the earth a penance because I burned a lot of dinosaurs in the Prowler. So to put it in perspective, in the EA-6B Prowler, um, you get about 20,000 pounds of fuel um, for a two hour flight, something like that. Just, you know, there's different configurations and everything, but that's a pretty average amount of fuel. And uh, you go through that pretty quickly, you know, in a jet aircraft and it's two jet engines. And so you are really causing a lot of, you know, problems with the environment when you do that. Um, and so I said to myself, what can I do, you know, to still do what I love, you know, I really enjoy flying um, and stay close to it while simultaneously making up for all of the uh, carbon emissions that I've put out and, and uh, my brothers and sisters as well. And Semper Sky is a glorified filling station, but instead of, uh, gas, like aviation, uh, fuel, et cetera. We are focused on being a filling station for electric recharge and for hydrogen-based energy. Um, a lot of people dream big and they come up with these awesome ideas for like how to make the next aircraft. 
if I could turn this camera around, you'd see all these different displays and everything. But uh, logistics, you know, and infrastructure, that's how you turn the fairy dust into reality. So that's what we are. And um, that's, that's what I plan to do. So um, I didn't mean to get off on the tangent about Semper Sky, but I thought, hey, I wanted to give a shout out to the Marine Corps for uh, really, I couldn't do what I'm doing right now as the owner of, of, of this um, business without the training that I had both as a leader and as uh, an aviation professional. So, and I definitely want to talk about Semper Sky, but before I do, I have one question because, you know, before you had said that they don't, they don't, you know, need your leadership. And so I think the question I have for that is what did you find most often that as you were leading that they needed, what did they need from you as a leader? If it wasn't your leadership, what did they need from you? Consistency. Um, and an open mind. So when it came to consistency, they just, a lot of Marines needed to see day in and day out that I wasn't going to um, treat Marines who were women um, any differently. And an example, um, there were enlisted Marines and there was kind of like, I'll, I'll use the term witch hunt, but I would rather find a better term. If I had, you know, more time to think about it, I would give you a better term. But there was a, a period of time where um, there was like a lot of sexual assault going on and a lot of sexual harassment and a lot of inappropriate um, comments toward, you know, Marines who were female or, uh, you know, a male to another male, et cetera. Um, and it was it was pretty rampant for a while. And, and people would uh, be standoffish about it and almost be like, hey, I'm not going to treat you any differently because, you know, you're, you're a woman or whatever it was. But here we go. You know, here's an NCO barbecue that's going on, right? Corporals and sergeants, they're kind of getting together and they're inviting, you know, their section in their shop. But the ones who are Marines who are female are not invited. Why aren't they invited? Because they felt like there was going to be a bunch of drama if they invited a female there, you know, a Marine who was female there. And so they left them off the invitation. And um, it made the Marines feel like they were not part of the unit. They felt isolated. They felt alone. Um, and, you know, they reiterated to me that they didn't even have an attitude that anybody was harassing them or anything of that nature. They just wanted to be a part of the team. Um, and so for me, you can't force someone to, hey, devil dog, you will invite her to your barbecue. You understand that? Like you can't do that, right? Um, but when I started being consistent, I started inviting, um, you know, Marines, um, enlisted an officer to events. I invited everybody um, and everybody was able to show. And so I kind of took care of it by, uh, setting the example and being consistent in who I invited and the conduct that the way I carried myself when people came over. Um, and I think that that's what folks needed to see. And they needed to see that it could be done, that you can have a social hour or social time and you can be of different ranks and files and it can still be okay. Um, you go off and do something after that, you know, amongst your uh, peer group, I understand, but, uh, we don't need to leave anybody out. And then um, an open mind um, when it came to the way certain Marines saw things. I used to do this um, story called Alligator River. Um, and in the Alligator River story, it's about these six characters and you have to rank them from one to six, one being the most offensive to you, six being the least offensive. And I did this for over 3,000 uh, people in general, including, you know, Marines, et cetera. Um, and when I did that, I found that the answers were varied and it was all based on your perspective and, you know, what speaks to you. Um, for example, there was a character who basically, um, the way, if you, you could look at it in a way where she betrayed a friend of hers, a friend confided in her some, some private information and she turned around and told the very person who would be affected by knowing this information. That person took an action that hurt, um, you know, the, the original person who told the story. And, um, you know, like there were theories and we purposely leave out information in this story 
Um, and people would make up and fill in the blanks with their perspective on life. Oh, this girl, Alice, she was jealous um, and she wanted Greg. And so that's why she told Greg, you know, what Abigail did and everything else. Right. And it was this was like a soap opera. Um, but there would be some Marines in particular who, you know, would be like, well, what if this is an alternate universe where, you know, like these people aren't real people in the world and everything else? And it's like, it sounds like, you know, very um, creative in thought, but I would always uh, treat them the same as everybody else and say, hey, this isn't about what the right answer was. Cause everybody'd be like, what's the right answer? What is the right order? And it's like, no, there is no right order. The purpose of this is for us to understand what speaks to each one of us. So maybe you're, Greg was the least offensive to you. Maybe Abigail was, maybe Alice was, Sinbad, so on and so forth. But either way, um, it was my opportunity to learn about what you care about the most. And I know, you know, loyalty is a big thing for, you know, person X, you know, Marine Y. Um, and so when I address them and when I speak to them and when they speak to me and they're emphasizing something, I know that that's the perspective they're coming from. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> no, it does. And when you talked about diversity earlier and just how diverse people are, like as they think because of the experiences they've had and what they've been through, what mm -hmm. a great leadership tool for you to know uh, how to lead and how to have those conversations and how to understand why they are making decisions that they're making or why, you know, they feel a, a certain way. And I just think that that is an amazing tool uh, and have you kind of continued using that tool and that model in your business now and, and those leadership styles have, have those helped yeah. you build this business? Yes, especially in uh, science, technology, engineering and math STEM, right? Um, you know, being the owner of an aerospace based business, even though it's it's more about facilitating, you know, the cool gadgetry that is coming out, the future of sustainable aviation, et cetera. Um, this is very much a leadership you know, um, based organization, because when you have diverse perspectives, you have to be a good leader. And in, in that you have to understand what perspective someone's coming to. And a good leader is a good communicator. Um, and so you have to understand why someone's communicating something to you, what they're communicating, and then be able to um, articulate that to your group, to your team. And so my interns are actually landing um, in the next 30 minutes. Um, here in San Diego, where I am for um, this aviation 2023 convention. And when they land, um, they're, all, they're coming from all, all different perspectives. One's a high school graduate. Um, two go to Howard University over in DC. Um, and then one goes to UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore City. Um, and they are very different, each one of them. Um, and my job is to help them understand this field of aerospace, give them, and none of them have a background in it. Uh, one of them has a private pilot's license and, and that's the high school graduate. So all the rest of them, um, mechanical engineering for one, uh, two of them are civil engineers and that's very different from aerospace, you know, anything. So I don't, I don't need you to be an aerospace engineer. Um, I need you to have soft skills and care about what you're doing. So soft skills wise, I need to know that you can show up on time, that you know how to communicate um, and articulate your thoughts. And from there, I'll take it, you know, I can work with you for the rest. Um, I can help you get that understanding of what you need to know to, to facilitate being an intern in Semper Sky. I can help you with all of those things. But all of those lessons and more came from the Marine Corps, you know, and so that's why I'm grateful um, for the privilege to serve. Um, I consider it a privilege. And um, if you don't mind, there's uh, on my mind is a recent post that was made about um, kind of like women in military service. Like uh, recently there was a day to celebrate that. And, you know, I, I constantly see um, both sides of the coin where I have friends who are not into, you know, like they feel like that it's segregation, like you're separating yourself from the team. And I have other friends who feel like, hey, you know, this was quite an accomplishment, you know, like military service is very skewed toward a certain direction. 
um, really toward male, right? And um, I, I think we should admit that. And I think that we should continue to improve upon that. Um, but the way I see it is you're taking time away to recognize like what it took to get where you are. And I think that it's a good thing to recognize. And I look forward to the day where not just with um, women serving in the armed forces, but with other subjects as well, we all collectively feel like, okay, we've made it to the point where I think we've all figured this out, you know, and, and we can kind of move on as a team, but it's okay for a teammate to, you know, have a different story and to recognize the, the accomplishments that, and the things that that teammate had to go through to be a part of the team. Um, and as a matter of fact, one of the comments I saw today on LinkedIn was something along the lines of, uh, from a, from a guy, Hey, you know, I, I don't understand, you know, I thought the point of this was to, you know, allow, um, women to be on the team, but they're separating themselves. And I was like, well, first of all, you don't allow women to be on anything. You don't allow women to be on a team. You have no authority to tell someone whether they're allowed to be on a team. Um, you, none whatsoever. So they have a right as a patriot to serve their country, right? We all do. So I don't know why you would even think that you're uh, informed um, by saying something like that. But I do understand the team concept and I do want us to come together as a team, especially when it matters, right? So uh, we, but that mental readiness and that preparedness is what we need to do. And it, frankly, if we're out here um, committing sexual assault, um, not treating um, our, our brothers and sisters like they're our brothers and sisters, creating some sort of pecking order. Um, and the numbers are obvious from, you know, who you see at, at higher ranks in the military. Um, it's pretty obvious to me that we're not there yet. So we do need to have a day, in my opinion, that celebrates, you know, this, this accomplishment, these accomplishments, because they were perseverance through adversity. Um, even the uniform that a woman, that women wore, um, it was not made, you know, like, and tailored to the things that they needed. Um, and it took time and it took someone banging the drum for, for us to understand, like, we need to, to change this. We need to adjust this. This is not right. So I'm sorry, I went off on the tangent there, but no, you're, you're good. And I think one of, one of my favorite things about you and like all of the interactions we have had, and it, and it goes back to your leadership, you lead so much like by example and by having hard conversations and by what can I do and actually meaning it and having this follow through. And I think that that's something that's so important and it shows your success in the Marine Corps, but then your success out of the Marine Corps, starting your own business and, and doing these things. And so I think that you are a wealth of knowledge. And if, I guess, if you had to give advice to somebody, whether in the Marine Corps or starting their own business or really in any role, what leadership advice or what would be the thing that you would tell them that like, Hey, focus on this, work on improving this or work, work towards this to be a better leader. What would that advice be? Yeah, I would say make mistakes. Um, be bold, be a Marine, make mistakes. Um, it's, you're going to make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I'm, I've previously been married. And in that relationship, I was not a good husband. You know, I was not a good partner. And it took um, the courage of, of that partner uh, that I previously had for her to, to say, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take this. I'm leaving, you know. Um, and for me to, to feel that emptiness and that, and get that understanding of, like, because I just didn't get it. I didn't understand the way I was treating that person. I made several mistakes, um, but that's what we do as human beings. And at, at least you put yourself out there enough to, to be in the situation where you did make a mistake. And I, I wanna, I think science and technology working that for the Marine Corps really helped me understand because in science and technology, Failure is an option. You are, you make an informed hypothesis and then you test that hypothesis. And, you know, certain factors come into play and you find out something failed, right? But it's not just one time. It has to fail a hundred times, you know, or some large number of times for you to really say whether something worked or did not work, right? And so the same thing with success. 
you were successful one time at something. Um, that does not mean that you will continue to be or that that is the right way to do things, right? The way you became successful with something and therein lies what I learned as a officer, you know, coming from being a successful, you know, meritoriously promoted to corporal, meritoriously promoted to sergeant, honor graduate, distinguished this, that, another thing, you know, like made sergeant in two years, four months um, of joining the Marine Corps. It was all about um, understanding the situation, being willing to make mistakes and having, and if you're a good leader, you'll recognize, you know, like someone why the mistake got made and you'll work with whoever it is on how to how to fix that so my advice to leaders is um understand and keep an open mind be cognitively diverse um or embrace cognitive diversity and then also um help people understand whatever it is uh that they feel is a mistake um and and listen to them and help them through what they want to do moving forward uh, and then my advice to those who are just, you know, starting out um, on something and maybe not in a leadership position is be willing to, you know, put yourself out there and don't worry if you make mistakes. Um, worry about what I'm concerned about is what you do after you make a mistake. Um, and so that's all I can do. So I'm not going to sit up here and pretend like I'm some perfect person that's got the market quartered on leadership or on humanity and et cetera, et cetera. I'm a very fallible human being. Um, I am, what you see today is the result of how I chose to uh, make up for or address my mistakes. Oh. And I think that that is so powerful and, and such great advice. And before I ask the last question, I wanna know if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to talk about or that we haven't covered. No, honestly, um, you know, I am going to focus on giving jobs to transitioning service members so you find me on linkedin and you're transitioning from service you either want to leave active duty and go into the reserves kind of stay affiliated or you want to turn around and, and work for the u.s government um, outside of uniform or you're just looking for a job in general i've done contractor i've done government uh civilian government employment and i've done reserves so i can help with any of those things and what a great resource you are. And, and with that, I will ask the last question, which is if you had to take the oath again, would you? Absolutely. Yes, I would take the oath. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I would ask to take the oath again and I will maybe around October. Um, I'm number 17 on the list of 300 something promotees uh, selected. So um, maybe October, I'll, I'll take that oath again. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. I'm joined today by Ferguson Juice Dale. He is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes, though, they go untold. Not every Marine story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. I'm honored today to have Ferguson on to share a piece of his story. In today's episode, we talk about his journey in the Marine Corps, how he got